Chapter 107 I almost fell over backward. For a second, I thought I was going to faint. I got tunnel vision, and my skin felt icy. There was no sound in the empty, echoing dungeon. A dozen images flashed through my mind. Her face smiling. Her warm brown eyes. The smell of homemade chocolate chip cookies. Her and Ella watching me. Hands shading their eyes as I took off. Eating meals together. She was the most real, mom-like mom I'd ever imagined. Dr. Martinez is my mother? I whispered hoarsely. He nodded seriously. She was an incredibly important research scientist, specializing in avian genetics. But once you were a viable embryo, she was locked out of the process. Not by me, I might add. She went back to Arizona, brokenhearted. But she donated the egg that became you. I frowned, my mind racing, looking for loopholes. I had to make absolutely sure, because if I got my hopes up and then was wrong, I didn't think I'd ever recover. Dr. Martinez is Hispanic, I said. I don't look anything like her. You have her eyes, said Jeb. Well, I did have brown eyes. And I was blonde as a little boy, like you are. So is Ari, if you remember. I glanced at Ari, who was now, you know, wolf-colored. He had been blonde. I focused my laser gaze on Jeb and made my voice as hard as an ice pick. If this is an elaborate test, something else I'm supposed to pass somehow, you will never see the light of day again. Jeb's mouth quirked on one side. This, I'm happy to say, is not a test. Out of everything I've ever told you, this is the most true. Valencia Martinez is your mother, and I'm your father. I looked at him, still furious about everything that had happened since he disappeared on us more than two years ago. I wanted to hurt him one-tenth as much as he hurt me and the rest of the flock. I don't have a father, I said coldly. I was both rewarded by and guilty about the flare of pain I saw in his eyes. I looked away, and, still trembling with emotion, turned and went as far away as my chain would let me. When Jeb spoke, he used the voice, the one I'd gotten so used to hearing inside my head, the one I hadn't heard since he told me it was him. Max, you're still here to save the world. That's what you were born for. That's the point of everything. All of this. No one else can do it. I believe that with all my heart. This isn't a test, and I'm not snowing you. You have to do this. Nothing in the history of mankind has ever been more important. Nothing. Ever. Ever. Chapter 108 There was silence for a few moments. It was all too much for me to take in, like getting the most amazing, fabulous, unbelievable Christmas presents ever and yet having them cause you an incredible amount of rage and pain. What about our parents? Angel asked. Me and the gas man. Nudge, Fang. Where are they? I don't know, Jeb said, standing up. Some of them were never identified by name. Only number. And we've lost track of the others. Their roles were over so quickly. What about that information we found? Nudge asked where we saw some names and addresses and stuff. Jeb shook his head. I don't know what you found, 
but I'd guess you misinterpreted it. Or maybe it was planted by the director. I've been finding out about many things she's done that I didn't know about. Oh, I'm so sure, I thought. Looking over at Nudge and Angel, I saw their faces fall, the light of hope fading in their eyes. I put my arms around them, and Total wedged himself among our feet. I'm sorry, guys, I said, holding them close. But parents are totally overrated. We're all the family we need, right? We've just spent so much time trying to find out, Nudge said softly. Angel nodded. I want to know. For sure. Someday, we'll know the whole truth, I said. But for right now, I'm just glad I have you guys. You're my family. They gave me sad smiles and nodded. I looked over my shoulder at Jeb. You can go now. Unless you have any more heartbreaking news you'd like to deliver. He looked regretful, and I automatically tensed up. You're supposed to come see the rally, he said. And then there's a final test. He sounded weird and didn't meet my eyes. I'm sure all of you will join me in leaping to the conclusion that something bad was about to happen. And you would be right. Chapter 109 You are reading Fang's blog. Welcome. Date. Already too late. You are visitor number. Our stat thing quit working, got overloaded. But you're way up there, believe me. Let's stick together, people. Okay, folks. We're on the East Coast. Somewhere between Miami and Eastport, Maine. Don't want to be more specific than that. We're on our way to rejoin Max. Don't have time to rehash all the details, but let's just say that I've decided a flock ought to stick together while they can. We've got more mail than we can handle, so thanks to everyone who's supporting us. I can only reply to a few people, so I'll do that here. And then we have to split. To Advon777 in Utah. I don't know where you got a missile launcher, and I don't want to know. But even though it might come in handy, it still seems like a really bad idea for you to be messing with it. Maybe you should just put it back where you got it. To Felicity Starlight in Milan, Italy. Thanks for the offer, but I don't really have time for a girlfriend right now. I found your ideas... creative. But this is not a good time. To James L. in Ontario. Thanks, man. I appreciate your support. We need all the help we can get, but waiting till you get out of second grade is fine. To PDM 1223. Excellent. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Tell people what's going on. Spread the message. Organize protests and stuff. Pick at the gargantuan pharma companies like Itex, and found that the companies Stellacorp, Diwestra, Mofongo Research, Delaney Minker Prince are all Itex under different names in different countries. Stillacorp is in England, not far from you. See the whole list under Appendix F for fatheads. Everyone, read this guy's mail. He totally has a handle on what I mean. What needs to happen? To everyone in the Seattle area, there's a protest organized for Saturday. Check the schedule that Big Boy Blue has made. Thanks, BBB. Attached as Appendix G for the time and place. Folks in other cities, check the schedule. There's a tidal wave of stuff going on. Thanks to everyone who's making this happen. We're gonna save the world. We're the last hope. Fang. Fang typed the last words, then sat back and rubbed his eyes. It was two in the morning. He, Iggy, and the gas man were set up to sneak onto a freight plane at 6.10am. 
The two other boys were asleep, curled up on sacks of seed corn in the corner of this carnivorous hangar. Fang had offered to take the whole watch. He had to get caught up with his blog. And also, they seemed much more wiped than he was. They'd flown across the whole United States, with stops for only quick rest and meals on the run. He shut down the computer, wanting to save the battery. He felt safer without its soft blue glow, with the middle of the night blackness settling around him. It was hard to believe what he was reading on the blog, the swelling underground movement that kids were organizing all around the world. Even in places like Kazakhstan and Taiwan, kids were getting mad, getting determined. Feng had heard from kids who seemed willing to die for what they believed in. He hoped that wouldn't be necessary. He leaned back against a sack of corn, listening to the others breathing. It was torture to wait until six like this, and then the whole flight across the ocean, and then look for Max somewhere in Germany. He'd give anything to be able to snap his fingers and be there. Unfortunately, that was one skill the mad scientist had forgotten to program in. In the meantime, he was totally stoked about his blog, the one that Max hadn't taken seriously. He really thought these kids could make a difference. More important, they thought so too. He put his hands behind his neck and stretched, then permitted himself a small grin. Max had always teased that the flock had voted Fang, most likely to become a cult leader. Well, maybe he had. And maybe that was the only thing that could save everybody. Chapter 110 Is this a pep rally? Total asked in a low voice as we slogged our way up countless stone steps. With cheerleaders? I love cheerleaders. I don't think it's a pep rally, I said under my breath. Somehow, I don't think the mad white coat team is squaring off against the fight and freedom lovers. What kind of final test? Nudge asked, sounding apprehensive. I sighed. <sighs> Something asinine. Probably life-threatening, and guaranteed to make me angry every time I remember it for the rest of my life. Angel looked up at me, worried. Do you think Fang will get here soon? I nodded. I'm sure he's on his way. But he probably wouldn't make it in time to spare me this idiocy. Instinctively, I began taking deep breaths, super oxygenating my blood. My knuckles were scarred from the last little skirmish I'd had with the flying can openers, and I cracked them loudly, already bracing myself to feel pain and to ignore it. The rally was taking place out in the wimpy winter sunlight of the prison yard. The sky and air felt as gray and lifeless as the dirt beneath our boots. I thought about Dr. Martinez, and how she might actually be my mom. Outside of the flock, she and Ella. Ella was my half-sister. Or my favorite people in the world. I wish I could take several hours just to enjoy thinking about it. Now I might die before I ever saw them again. The remaining ranks of mutants and wannabes were lined up neatly in the yard. There were fewer of them than before, and I remembered what Max too had said about how they disappeared every day. Was this going to be another fight with Max too? Did they really want me to kill her this time? I prayed no one was sick enough to make me fight Ari again, but I wouldn't put it past them. Wait here, commanded a flyboy in a metallic voice. Sure, I thought, because telling me what to do always works so well. Several flyboys surrounded us, pointing guns. The guns seemed to be welded to their arms, part of them. 
an improvement over the last ones. Now they couldn't drop their weapons or have them taken away. Those guys just kept innovating. That's progress, people. Welcome, everyone, said my ex-mom, walking out onto a platform. Her image immediately popped up on half a dozen movie theater-sized screens, positioned all around the yard. She opened her arms in greeting, and then I noticed the viewing stands full of people over to one side. Everything about them said government wanks, and I figured they were here to be impressed, flattered, and bribed. Not necessarily in that order. Welcome, honored representatives of... Then she launched into a geographical who's who of countries all around the world. Pretty much every country I'd heard of, and a bunch I hadn't, seemed to be thinking about jumping on the insane apocalypse bandwagon. And now, prepare yourselves to view many of our most stunning achievements, said the director, pressing a button that opened an eight-foot, metal-clad door. Great, I thought. My day's about to get worse. Which, come to think of it, was the first of their stunning achievements, actually. Chapter 111 Okay, they got me, Toodle whispered. I am one stunned little dog. Angel, Nudge, and I nodded silently, our eyes wide at what was happening in front of us. I won't describe the scariest things we saw that morning, because it would depress the heck out of you. Let's just say that if these scientists had been using their brilliance for good instead of evil, cars would run off water vapor and leave fresh compost behind them. No one would be hungry. No one would be ill. All buildings would be earthquake, bomb, and floodproof. And the world's entire economy would have collapsed and been replaced with one based on the value of chocolate. However, since they were evil, basically, we saw stuff that would fuel the world's nightmares for the next 500 years. Max, if you survive your final test, can you steal one of those magic outfits for me? Angel asked, leaning against me. I'll try to get one for each one of us. I replied, and then I realized what she'd said. Hey, if? She looked at me seriously, and I hoped she hadn't developed a way to predict the future. We're way outnumbered, and I don't think they're gonna fight fair. I held her hand tightly. They never do, but I will survive, and I will steal you one of those magic suits. She smiled. Here you see our patented process for growing replacement limbs said the director. A man walked out, reached over, and attached his arm from the shoulder. He showed that it was made of flesh and bone, and was attached to him by an electronic interface that looks suspiciously like an iPod data port. Way gross, said Nudge, and we all nodded. We made the replica of the arm out of biogenetic matrix, the director explained. Is that from Duncan Hines? I whispered. It functions exactly like the limb he lost, and even better, the director went on. We laced titanium cells into the bone material, strengthening its stress resistance by 400%. And guaranteeing him hassles at airport security stations all over the world, I murmured. Next, we have one of our most successful human hybrids, said Dr. Jennison. A woman walked out, totally normal-looking. Did she have wings? Was she an eraser? Mar here had Panthera Partis genetic material grafted into her human DNA. It's given her some unique qualities. What's that? Angel whispered. I don't know, I said. 
Something feline, said Ari. He was right. Up on the platform, the woman opened her mouth to reveal humongous, razor-sharp fangs, which looked even more lethal than the typical erasers. Then she crouched down, sprang up as if made of rubber, and landed fifteen feet above the platform, clinging to a tall light stand. Everyone who hadn't gasped when they saw her fangs quit trying to be suave, and went ahead and gasped. The director smiled and motioned her down. As usual, the leopard genes were expressed in some unexpected ways. Meaning they still didn't know what the heck they were doing. Mara turned around. The director unzipped her jumpsuit at the back, and an excited murmur ran through the crowd. Old Mara had leper spots trailing down her spine. I guess she can't change that, I said, and Total snickered. And Mara, it's just the beginning, said the director. Chapter 112 Growing up in the lab at the school, where we were surrounded by dog crates filled with mix-and-match genetic experiments, we'd seen pretty much any combination of two living things that you could imagine, and probably a thousand that you couldn't. Virtually all of them had been unsuccessful or non-viable, as the white coat said. A tiny percentage had made it past the embryo stage, and a few struggled along for a year or two before their horrific defects caught up with them. As far as I knew, we, the flock, had been by far the most successful hybrid. Us and the erasers. Even the erasers only lived about six years or so. We were ancient compared with them. Today, we were seeing some successful hybrids, like Mara. After Spot Girl, the director trotted out two people who could control the color of their skin just by thinking about it. Can they turn blue? Nudge asked, fascinated. Or purple? Who knows, I said, and then my stomach twisted as the people on stage literally turned camouflage right in front of us. I thought about what the military people of various countries could do with that, and felt ill. We saw people who could increase their height by about four inches, just by controlling their muscles and skeletal structures with their minds. Combine that with the skin-changing types, and you've got a recipe for a big rubber deluxe, I said. They'd never be recognized. We saw people with hard, scaly, bulletproof skin, or gator guys, as we called them. We saw a woman who could scream at pitches too high for any of us to hear, but had total writhing and pain on the ground, biting his lip to keep from shrieking swear words. Which isn't totally unusual, but it could also shatter metal, which seemed new and different, and completely horrifying. Think of what a successful nag she would be, I said to Ari and he tried to smile, but couldn't. His skin seemed to have a grayish cast, and he'd been unusually quiet for several hours. I wondered if he was near his end. These things all look like soldiers, said Nudge. Like, they'd be good in a war, you know? They all look wary because they were built to be an army, I told her. Well, that would do it, she said. Don't these people ever think about anything else? Total muttered in disgust. There's more to life than world domination, you know. Max, what's that? Angel asked, pointing. I looked. Up on the stage, the director seemed to have a remote control in her hand. Then I saw a small swarm of glittery, copper-colored things circling around her. Were they bugs? Had they started engineering bugs? Oh, great. Just what the world needed. The director motioned to someone. 
He opened a large plastic box, and hundreds of beautiful butterflies flew out. It was a weird jolt of color in this gray landscape. Well, besides the camo people, that is. The glittery things weren't bugs. They were nanobullets, with their own internal guidance systems. Within seconds, they had locked onto the butterflies, and moments after that, all that was left were bits of shimmer wings floating to the ground. Nudge, Angel, Ari, Total, and I stared at one another in horror. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximum bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am your all of it, Marky, and it is very late for me, and I am very sleepy, so I am just gonna skip the recommendation for this week, and there's no messages or anything, so I'm just gonna say if you want to find me places, you can email me at maximcrime at gmail.com, or you can message me on my Tumblr over at maximum-crime-pod. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll have more energy next week to do a better outro, but it's time for me to go to bed. (laughs) Alrighty, I think that's all I gotta say for this time. So, until next time, fly on. (laughs) 